Sharing Your Call, our theme for Lent. And I believe in some ways that Nicodemus's story is an interesting one for that theme. Here was this man, a Pharisee. Now let's just remember that a Pharisee, they're members of this ancient Jewish sect that was really a religious and a political part of the time. And the Pharisees are the leaders. Pharisees are mentioned in the New Testament, and unlike the Sadducees who tried to apply Mosaic law strictly, the Pharisees allowed some freedom of interpretation. But they were still known for their insistence on obeying the law. In the gospel, they are represented as the chief opponents of Jesus. And they seem to have been a little less hostile than the Sadducees. So here is Nicodemus, a Pharisee, often jokingly called Nick at night because he comes to see Jesus at night. Thank you, too. Thank you. He, he comes to see Jesus at night, and a lot is made about that. And we see here that it says that he visited Jesus at night, but it's, we're also reminded of that in John later on when Jesus has been crucified and Nicodemus appears at Jesus' tomb to help the process of burying Jesus. And John refers to him as Nicodemus, who had at first come to Jesus in the night. Coming to Jesus to visit at night. Why would that have been? Some make the assumption that he came at night so that others wouldn't see this Pharisee visiting Jesus. I wonder why Nicodemus went to visit Jesus in the first place. Was it because he was curious about this man that everyone is talking about? Maybe he's lying in bed just wondering curious about this man so much so that he can't sleep so he just decides to get up and go talk to Jesus or is Nicodemus afraid maybe he's afraid that this man called Jesus is trying to scam people or maybe he's afraid that this Messiah has come and who knows what he's going to do to their community we let fear and even curiosity sometimes really control us, don't we? We've been talking about the possibility of changing our name for at least five years, if not many before that. And while it was good that we took the time and went to the process to really think that through, Part of what slowed us down was fear. 
fear that we might lose some members, fear that it was the wrong thing to do, fear that there might be some dissension in the community. We want everyone to be happy all the time. And so there was some fear. There are a lot of things that we are afraid to try and afraid to not try. We're in the midst of some really fearful times with this new virus. And many people are afraid to go out or to travel or to see people. I wonder, what was the thought of this man? Keeping Nicodemus up at night, preventing him from sleeping, so much so that he had to get up and go find out more. I wonder what keeps you up at night. Anything in particular? Can you remember the last time that something kept you awake at night? It's usually our fears. Sometimes, perhaps, we're kept awake by things that we're curious about. But more often, it's because of fear. We can't really figure out what's going to happen or what's going to come. It's our fears. It's our fears that often cause us to overreact or our fears that cause us to freeze up in our track and stops us from doing what we need to be doing. I came across a video that I want to show you this morning. A video that I think is important for us learning about how we are to react to our fears. Let's pray that this works. Some of the deer, but that wasn't the major thing. 
much more significantly, they radically change the behavior of the deers. The deer start avoiding certain parts of the park, the places where they can be trapped most easily, particularly the valleys and the gorges. And immediately, those places started to regenerate. In some areas, the height of the trees quintupled in just six years. Bare valley sides quickly became forests of aspen and willow and cottonwood. And as soon as that happened, the birds started moving in. The number of songbirds and migratory birds started to increase greatly. The number of beavers started to increase because beavers like to, to eat the trees. And beavers, like wolves, are ecosystem engineers. They create niches for other species. And the dams they built in the rivers uh, provided habitats for otters and muskrats and ducks and fish and reptiles and amphibians. The wolves killed coyotes, and as a result of that, the number of rabbits and mice began to rise, which meant more hawks, more weasels, more foxes, more badgers. Ravens and bald eagles came down to feed on the carrier that the wolves had left. Bears fed them too, and their population began to rise as well, partly also because there were more berries growing on the regenerating shrubs. And the bears reinforced the impact of the wolves by killing some of the calves of the deer. And here's where it gets really interesting. The wolves changed the behavior of the rivers. They began to meander less. There was less erosion, the channels narrowed, more pools formed, more riffle sections, all of which were great for wildlife habitats. The rivers changed in response to the wolves. And the reason was that the regenerating forests stabilized the banks so that they collapsed less often, so that the rivers became more fixed in their course. Similarly, by driving the deer out of some places and the vegetation recovering on the valley sides, there was a soil erosion because the vegetation stabilized that as well. So the wolves, small in number, transformed not just the ecosystem of the Yellowstone National Park, this huge area of land, but also its physical geography. Just do that. How about that? So that may have been a little bit of an unusual video for me to show, but what is amazing thing for me to think about is that because humans were afraid of the wolves, they created a way to get rid of the wolves in that area, thinking it will make it safer for humans and safer for the deer. But what no one thought about was what would happen to all these other things when the wolf population was gone. I'm guessing no one really could have guessed what a difference it would make when they reintroduced just a couple of dozen wolves back into the area. But wow. It stabilized the area in a way they could not have 
predicted. Looking back at Nicodemus, not knowing exactly what he was hoping to learn from Jesus, what have, might have been the outcome from his visit to Jesus? We know that Nicodemus was changed. We know that at his trial, Nicodemus stands up and says to the Sanhedrin's, the law requires that this man must be heard before he can be judged. We know that Nicodemus showed up at the crucifixion with all the spices that were needed to embalm Jesus following his crucifixion. And we know that Nicodemus worked with Joseph of Arimathea to prepare his body for the tomb. Something that could have cost Nicodemus a lot. Nicodemus was changed. Maybe it was gradual. Maybe it didn't happen that night. But Nicodemus was changed. And that change possibly brought about this cascade of effect for Jesus. I wonder in what ways do we make dramatic responses to our fears? And in those responses, we do damage the way that others see Jesus. Or we do damage in the way that we share Christ. I've really been trying to figure out the proper response to this new virus. And I know there are people who really need to be careful because their immune systems are down and this can be a real problem. But so could the flu and so could pneumonia and the common cold. How do we do our best to protect people but also recognize that we must keep living. People are stockpiling things that are then preventing others from having what they need. I heard a story about people stealing masks and medical supplies from hospitals that are literally putting hospital personnel in jeopardy. I was listening to another story this week of some of the people who had been in quarantine for several weeks and they finally were released having never shown a positive result, who had never been sick, never had a fever, but when they were released from their quarantine and tried to go back to their lives, they were fired from their jobs, they were not allowed to be around their family, they were disenfranchised. They might as well have been screaming, leper, leper. How do we as Christians, how do we continue to show the love of Jesus in our communities while recognizing that there is much going on and there is fear and there is curiosity the trophic cascade in this world is enormous. 
the decisions we make each and every day, no matter how small they may seem, can make a tremendous change in our world. Becoming the church at Highland Park is a great thing that we've done. It shows to this community that we want to open the doors wide and allow the love of Jesus to be shared with everyone. But that's only step one. It takes each and every one of us being excited about being in this place. Each and every one of us showing the love of Jesus, not just here, but everywhere we go. Telling people about this loving place and about this loving Christ who has made a change in our lives. And when we can do that, then that cascade can trickle down into this community, into this world, knowing that we are what God has planned us to be, instruments of his love, 